I want for us this morning to consider just a single verse of scripture that is found in Exodus chapter 20 and verses verse 7. So that is Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. <clears throat> Let me just read that again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. <clears throat> just before we go any further, let me just add, to, <clears throat> add this, that if any of you would like to find further application on this particular uh, commandment, the third commandment, I could uh, point you to the larger catechisms, and there's a commentary on it, I think, by Gerhard Foss, and it's also been edited by G.I. <coughs> Williamson, and you will find a great deal of um, application to be found on this particular uh, commandment. So if you want to read further, I commend that to you. <coughs> now, the Ten Commandments have been given by God to both his people and to all mankind. So this is universal standards, truths of God. And it is a standard whereby the Lord will judge finally all mankind. We are reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ in his sinless humanity kept the law perfectly on behalf of all whom the Father has given to him. The commandments are then the standard by which the believer conducts his life. It's a standard whereby you live out your life with the fear of God and, and the glory of his name. Now the purpose of all of this, the commandments, is that as we try and live them out with the help of our God, that, in, that we will be an example before the watching world in which we live, but it is also helping us to understand something greater, that as we have been brought to faith in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, as we submit to the authority of his commandments, it is preparing you, believer friend, this morning. It is preparing you for that place where you will finally be in glory with your Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our glorious triune God. These are not rules that are restrictive and burdensome, but these are God's laws that are intended to sanctify you and to cause you and myself to worship God as we really should. This is really important stuff that we need to understand and grasp. And how wonderful it is that even as the Apostle Paul has mentioned, that he wouldn't know what sin was except the law pointed out his sin to him. But then in glory finally, we will have no sin. 
whatsoever and no inclination to sin ever. And so while we have the standards here, they will be perfected when we are finally in the presence of God through faith in Jesus. Now, the first and second commandments make it quite clear that God alone is to be worshipped. And we are forbidden there from making anything to worship in the place of God. Moving on from there, the fourth commandment is important because it speaks about the sanctity of the Sabbath day and its uniqueness in worshipping God. But the third commandment is about how God is to be worshipped, how we are to regard him. And in essence, it is speaking about us revering God, revering his name <coughs> and respecting who, the, who God is. Now this morning we look at two things from this particular <coughs> verse of scripture. And the first I bring before you is God who is to be revered. A God who is to be revered. <clears throat> You'll notice in verse 7 of Exodus 20 that their, pro that their pro prohibition that is there is that you as an individual before God, you, singular, you must not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It is a strong prohibition. That word take that we find in the verse literally means to lift up, you see. And it is in the imperfect in the Hebrew and it simply means incomplete action. So here is something that you are always to do. For the duration of your life it means you must not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In the Bible also, it is quite common that a person's name often describes the character of that person or the calling which God has given to them. For example, the biblical character Joshua, which we find, of course, in, in the first five books of the Bible and also the book that bears his name, <coughs> it is Joshua who has the name uh, who is the one who would lead God's people out of the wilderness but into the land of promise. Moses had been with his people in the wilderness. Now it was jo Jacob's, excuse me, Joshua's responsibility to lead the people across the Jordan River and into Canaan the land of promise. So in that sense, Joshua's name is well suited to him. He's the leader. He's the saviour. He is saving his people by bringing them into the land that God had finally promised. If Joshua's name means saviour, <coughs> then it's the same name that we have for the Lord Jesus Christ, because the Hebrew for the name Jesus would be Joshua, you see. And it simply means saviour. And as we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
we understand that he is a saviour because he gave his life as a ransom for many and for you so that the sins of many who believe in him, your sins might be forgiven and the justice of God should be satisfied by the, the life of Christ, by the, his, his sufferings, by his work on the cross, by his death and by his resurrection. Jesus endured all of that as the Son of God, and willingly so. So in a very real sense then, there's Jesus doing that saving work on behalf of all who would believe in him. And if you are here this morning as a believer, you are the descendants, if you wish. You're one of those whom, whom Christ Jesus has died for. You are one whom the Lord Jesus Christ has saved then from sin. And he's making you ready to be with God. <clears throat> Now, all that we know about the Lord is what has been revealed in Scripture, but it includes also what we, also, what we experience personally through the working of God the Holy Spirit to bring us to faith in Christ, the Son of God. So, yes, the Scripture is, is, is of utmost importance, but there's also the wonder of Christ being revealed to us through the working of the Holy Spirit of God in salvation. <clears throat> if we consider that the Lord is the creator of all things, if he delivered Israel from slavery, if he, the, the Lord, provided for the nation in the wilderness for those 40 years, if he brought the promised saviour into the world to live before mankind, to serve to suffer, to die, and to rise again, then there is a telling description that is given to us as we think about God's revelation to mankind. And it speaks about the fact that here is God who is omnipotent, who is majestic, but a God of loving kindness and mercy to sinners who repent. Do you see something there of the wonder of our God? Mighty and great, unapproachable in holiness. And yet through Christ he has made it possible for you to know him. For your sin to be pardoned so that you become acceptable to God. So his name, the name of God, is synonymous with what he has done and what he continues to do in saving sinners. How great is our God? How great is his name? How great is his name? <clears throat> and therefore, to take the name of God in vain is to absolutely insult God, to insult him. It is to drag his holy name, as it were, through the mud and the filth. That's what it means to take the name of the Lord in vain. It's to insult him in the most strongest way. As a Christian, how can we possibly do that? It's not in our hearts to want to do it. And it's a tragedy that in our world, 
there are so many men and women and young people who think nothing of using the name of God, the name of God's Son, the name of God the Holy Spirit in vain. <coughs> we speak about in vain, in vain, taking, not taking the name of the Lord in vain. And that word vain means no good purpose or falsely. It means to dishonour the Lord's name and treat him with disrespect. <clears throat> the reality is, as we look at ourselves now, is that we are born in sin. We are sinners by birth. We live in a sinful society. And it's a great privilege and honour, let me add, to those of you who have had the privilege to be raised in a, in, a, in a home where mother and father are Christians, where your parents have sought to honour God in every way, in their lives, in what they say to you, in teaching you the word of God, in taking you to church, in praying with you. What a privilege to be raised in a Christian home and therefore to be familiar with the scriptures it's a huge privilege because you have a mindset that has been taught to you and has been imbibed, as it were. And what a tragedy it would be if you've been taught all that and you, 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 you leave the home finally and you turn your back upon what your parents have taught you about God and about Christ and his holy name. It's a tragedy beyond description. And so... What a privilege it is to be raised in a Christian home. But some of us have not had that privilege. Some of us have been raised in homes where God has not been honoured, where we've been subjected in our families and general society <coughs> to all kinds of profane words and blasphemies, to the misuse of the names of God, in our formative years as children, we've heard God's name being blasphemed, belittled, dragged through the mud. I heard the laughter sometimes that goes on with that. And as you grow up, and perhaps even as you, as you come to faith in Jesus Christ, and you know his forgiveness, and his making you into a, a new creation, it's a hard thing to take off that mantle of words that has become stuck in your mind and all the expletives that you've heard and learned and possibly used. It's hard to shake them off. But God is merciful, is he not? And graciously and tenderly he sanctifies you and he breaks the power of those things. Your speech is not peppered with all kinds of expletives and swearing the misuse of God's name. Instead, that name that perhaps some of you dishonoured so by taking the Lord's name in vain becomes such a precious name to you. It means everything to you. And that's a wonderful thing that Christ does. <clears throat> 
I've taken you through a very difficult part here because here's the nuts and bolts of what this, this particular commandment is about. But I do want to take a little time just now to explain some of these things to you by way of application. <clears throat> and here are some examples of the misuse of God's name. You might hear somebody saying this, well, God is love. God is love. And therefore, he cannot take, punish people in hell. If God is love, how can he punish? If God is love, how can he send someone to hell? That's taking God's name in vain. It's deception. What about superstition? Where there are people who wear a cross, perhaps some of the women folks, some have crosses tattooed on their bodies. Why do they do that? Why wear a cross? Why? Why have a St. Christopher's medal or um, image that, is, that you would carry with you? Um, why do you say that something will be done? A finger's crossed, and they'll often make that sign. Or why do people say, well, I'm going to do that? Touch wood. Why? They do it because they are superstitious and they are doing it so that there might be good fortune, good luck. They are taking God's name in vain, touching wood and uh, fingers crossed is referring to the cross of Christ. It's in fact insulting the one who was upon the cross. Think about this. <clears throat> when trouble and calamity comes to someone who is a nominal Christian, they've gone to church and so on, and then suddenly there's a calamity, their health fails, they've learned they've got a terminal disease, and they respond quite differently suddenly. And they say, oh, God is so unfair. How could he possibly do this to me? I've gone to church for years and years. I've given my money to the church. How can he treat me like this now by allowing this terminal disease to come to me? He's not worth following. That person is taking the Lord's name in vain. There are some who say, well, if God is good, why then does he allow war among nations and natural catastrophes to occur? You know, if he's so powerful, why does he do this? Why does he allow it? Is God not omnipotent? He is. Does he not have the right to do exactly what he does in this world? Does he not know what he's doing when catastrophes occur? And people look on and they say, there can't be a God if he allows these things to happen. That's taking the name of God in vain. Think about profane jokes and hilarity that so often occurs about our triune God. Jokes about Christ, jokes about the Father, jokes about the Holy Spirit. I'm sure probably most of us have heard such things. And when you hear it, it makes your, 
It, it, it just makes you feel sick inside as people would say such things and they take in the name of God in vain. And sometimes it is that we take God's name in vain when we complain about God's providence in our lives. You know, how could he do this to me? I'm a Christian. I've gone to church for years and years. I love Christ. Why? Why is he doing this to me? May I tenderly say to you that you're taking the name of God in vain. God knows what he's doing. He's working for your good, even in trouble. I reflected upon these things recently and spoke with my good wife about them too. But our family seems to have had a great deal of trouble over the last 10 years, or a bit longer maybe. Great deal of trouble. My wife, she has terminal cancer. God has been so merciful to her. Which we didn't expect that. What of my daughter here? A brain tumour. And it's irreversible. What about my younger daughter? The marriage is shattered. Not of her doing. My son... His marriage shattered because his wife walked away from him. We could say as a family, why has God treated us like this? How can we say that? <laughs> we can't, because he knows what he is doing. And you, you dear Christian, in whatever situation you are in, God knows what he's doing. He cannot separate you from his love, from the love of Christ. And he is doing everything for your good. And he makes the bitter sweet. And oh, let's not at this place, believers, slip and say, and bring dishonor to God by blaming him for us, for his providence. <clears throat> you will know as well how the letters O M are quite prolific. You see them in the media. You see them on food products as well. Uh, there was, they were on cereal boxes a little while back. <clears throat> you know that OMG means, oh my God. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. I'll speak a little more of this later. Think about prejudice. Prejudice. Well, what I mean by that is the way that people might pick upon the name of God to dishonour and take in vain. Christ's name. Just a little while ago, <clears throat> I read the book by Herman Volk um, entitled The Cain Mutiny. It's a very striking book. It's very well written by a good um, journalist. And if you open the book and read it, you will discover that the name of God is not mentioned on any of its pages. The name God. 
neither is there much bad language. There's very, very little. But in almost every single page, you will hear and read and come across the fact that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is blasphemed. Every page is like that. I ask myself the question, why does this man do this? And I learned that the man happened to be a very strict Jew, with no disrespect upon Jewish people, but he was raised by his rabbi grandfather, and for that reason, his understanding of the name of God was that God's name should not be taken in vain. But to them, the name Jesus Christ is unimportant. It's just a curse word. No respect is shown there. And that is the reason why it is that in that particular book it is used so widely. The name of Christ is blasphemed. It's taking the name of God in vain. How often the name of Christ is blasphemed by careless people. And wherever we go, if you watch the television, you will hear that expression, OMG, or I don't even like saying it, but oh my God. Children use it. Teenagers. Everybody does. Does it make it right? The answer is no. It's taking the name of the Lord in vain. One of the children's games, and it, I think it's a, it's a kind of um, a, a Lego City game, I think it is, but the commentator in that particular game uses the name of God, as I've explained it to you here, the OMG phrase, repeatedly, What's happening is teaching children that that's quite normal behaviour. It's sinking into their fertile minds and it becomes a part of their vocabulary. But then, think about this as well. <clears throat> there are substitute words and expressions used for God and for his son. Perhaps some of you have heard the words of, for Christ, jeepers, creepers or Caesar's ghost. How many people use the word gosh? Just another, a, a synonym for God. How many people use the word darn when they actually mean damn? Some people say what the heck when they mean hell. Many people say G for the name of Jesus and so on. The, this is common. We hear it all the time, you see. But there are some very common words that are used in the world and sadly to say are used even by Christian people. And that's what I want to point out to you this morning. How many of you would use the word goodness? If some, someone says something to you and it surprises you, you say, oh, goodness or 
goodness gracious me, or my goodness. Some would even go further and say, good Lord. Some would say mercy, good grief. All of these things are referring to the sufferings of Christ at Gethsemane and at Calvary. And how easy it is for you and me to pick up those words, to say things like, gosh, to say goodness. They substitute words for God and for his Son and the Spirit. And I would say to you, believers, ask for God's mercy and grace to take those words out of your minds, away from your tongues as you speak. Here is a real issue in Christian living, that we use those kind of words. And we do so thoughtlessly, you see. <clears throat> Octavius Winslow makes a point that a believer is indebted to the Bible, and I quote, for his quickening, for his sanctification, and for his comfort. To trifle then with that holy word, to quote it flippantly, to speak of it irreverently, to jest with it profanely, would seem a crime from which a mind stored with its precious treasures, the Bible, and imbued with its hallowed spirit, would recoil in holy dread. That's how you should behave, Christian. When you hear God's name taken in vain and all that goes with it, as I've tried to explain to you, you should say, no, I don't like this. I don't want to do it. I don't want my speech to be like that. Let my speech honour and glorify my Father in heaven and his Son and the Holy Spirit. May I make some comments too? Wise cracks from the scriptures. I didn't quite know how to <laughs> express this, but I think it's a problem. Because as we talk to one another sometimes, we use scripture to make people smile at what we do or what <coughs> others do. I'm guilty of this. I, I recently said to my own pastor, Paul Smith, um, watch and pray. I was watching and praying. What did I mean when I said that? Watching and praying is found in Mark 13, 33. And it's saying, watch and pray for you don't know the hour of Christ's return, so be ready. That's what it means in the scriptures. But what I was getting at there was not the return of Christ. I was really saying to him, it's in the prayer meetings. It's, I sometimes look at others. We have a screen on display where we see the various prayer requests, but you can't help sometimes just opening your eye when you hear something and you look, you look at others. And therefore to say in that sort of casual, joking way, I was watching and praying, it's twisting the scriptures just to get a smile out of somebody. <clears throat> I was reminded too of a certain pastor who was obese and who joked, 
My sin is ever before me. My stomach is ever before me, is really what he was saying. And he said it to make people smile and laugh, you see. Where did he, where did he get that from? My sin is ever before me. Psalm 51, the penitential psalm of David in verse 3, where David confesses <coughs> his sin of adultery and murder. He feels his guilt. He's deeply grieved in his heart that he has brought dishonor upon the God of his salvation. For David, it was right to say, my sin is always before me. But he twists the scriptures to mean something else, to make people laugh, is unbecoming behavior for a Christian. And how careful you and I must be about that. It brings great disrespect to God. <clears throat> now we may expect a Christian, or non-Christian at least, to misuse the name of God. We can expect that. Because they simply don't know God, you see. But we as believers must be very careful not to use such words because it dishonors God's holy and majestic name. In the second place, <clears throat> and it's not like the first point, the second point is this God who cannot ignore sin. God who cannot ignore sin. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The verb is intense, very strong, and it's continuous action. <clears throat> and thus God can never equip, acquit at least those who dishonor his holy name. He can't brush it under the carpet. His justice demands that he deal with it, you see. And his justice will finally be satisfied in the day of judgment when offenders are punished eternally. The language also is forceful because <clears throat> it speaks about the one who does that. And it also speaks about him taking the name. So it's the one and the name. And it's extremely powerful and strong. And what the Lord is saying there, they cannot escape punishment. That's a very dark picture, is it not? And here is God's standard, and here is his, uh, here is his judgment, you see. But there is hope. But there is hope. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 to 32, this is what Jesus Christ, our Lord, says. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. And then he adds, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. <clears throat> Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. And thus, where the Spirit works to bring a sinner to the Saviour, <clears throat> where our sins are pardoned and there is that full forgiveness of sin it covers even the misuse of God's holy name it's forgiven it's forgiven think also how serious this judgment of God is 
Leviticus 24 and verses 10 to 16 paint a picture of a man who deliberately curses God and his punishment was death by stoning by all the congregation of Israel. It's telling us how seriously God takes the misuse of his name in Israel long ago. And how can any man who does not know Christ stand before God and have that accusation brought against him? You have dishonoured my name. You've taken my name in vain again and again. And the, the condemned sinner on that day will not be able to say, my sins are covered by Christ. They will have no defence. And they will receive the judgment of God. And if such things are, live, are directed towards you by a holy God, as a Christian, you will have the right to say, Ah, but my Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved me and died for me, he covered that sin. It's covered. It's dealt with. It's no longer held to my account. It's no longer in the record book. It's no longer in God's memory. It's been taken away completely. When you recognise your need of forgiveness through Jesus Christ, did you not come to God and appeal to his mercy and grace? Didn't you use the name of Jesus Christ and say, Lord Jesus, please be merciful to me. Please forgive my sin. Please make me a child of God. You called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and God heard your prayer and rescued you from sin's penalty and changed you, made you his child and enabled you to live for his glory. <clears throat> what happened when you were converted? When you were saved? You entered into a relationship. A relationship with God. A relationship with a triune God. Now think about this. On the one hand, there is God, holy, righteous, majestic in his being. And there is, you are. The other side of the scale. And you're a sinner, saved by grace. Do you not see the wonder of what God has done? He has made you his child. You have the right to speak with him, to call on his name, to pray to him, for him to speak to you through his precious word every day. Every time you come under the sound of his word, God having dealings with you because you know him through Christ. Once you were estranged, you see, now you are a son, a daughter of our triune God. That is absolutely glorious. <clears throat> Before I end, I must tell you this. I'm sure that there are people in this congregation today who do not know <coughs> the Lord Jesus Christ. You are strangers to him. Oh, you might know an awful lot about Christ and about his work on the cross <coughs> and so on. 
That certainly may be true. But <coughs> what are you to do? I would urge you to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ <coughs> and to ask him to save you from your sins. Use that precious name of which you are so familiar and he will pardon your sins and he will change your heart. He will forgive even <coughs> you having taken his name in vain and he will put the praise of God on your lips to praise him. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts today and encourage us as we have heard this most important commandment. May we take it to heart and live it out where there is need for repentance so we come to the Lord and ask him to cleanse us. Call upon the power of the Spirit to sanctify. May it be so for the people.